0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you.
1: It's my great pleasure to be here with you today with so many committed practitioners and those of uh, deep interest in the Dhamma. So Gil, when Gil invited me to come to speak with you today, it was because of what's currently happening in the world as we stand at the edge of the COP21 conference in Paris on climate change. So COP means Conference of Parties, and this is an annual meeting. It's been happening. This is the 21st year talking about what to do about climate change. And the big, the major hope is that this year finally there will be a binding agreement among all nations to put us on a path towards reducing the global carbon emissions so that we don't overshoot the two degree Celsius rise in average global temperature. So I'm not here to talk about that. (laughs) I mean... You can find out all about the situation of climate change easily. Uh, You can also find out about all the actions that are happening. There are more than 2,000 actions planned for this period of time this week. And it's around the world. So people around the world are waking up to the need to support our world leaders in, in taking action. And it's actually been um, part of my practice over the last eight years or so to be really engaged in this particular issue, recognizing that it's probably the biggest, it's the biggest crisis, the biggest thing that's happened to humanity since our appearance on this planet. And it's a tremendous opportunity for practice. And that's what I really want to talk with you about, because how do we bring the dharma into this? How do we use the dharma? How do we make this um, and every opportunity in life part of what fuels our practice and our own development of the heart? How do we support others in their own grappling with this situation? So in this eight years or so that I've been looking closely at climate change and what we can do to support right action in this, I've gone through a lot of phases, of course. And I've experienced, you know, a lot of the kinds of feeling you might be also experiencing if you're... um, involved or, or watching, I mean, nowadays we can't really avoid it, can we, uh, hearing about it. When It was last year, I think, that the um, American Association for the Advancement of Science reported that every state in America is experiencing the effects of climate change. Just recently, I heard a talk um, on the international level, every country is experiencing the effects of climate change. So it's not just an idea anymore. It's something we can actually experience. So it's becoming more um, more real in our minds, in our experience. So I want to talk about application of the Dhamma. And I'm really interested in what your questions are and your thoughts and your experiences are, so I'm hoping to leave plenty of time for that. So I'll share some ideas and then we'll see what we can do about deepening this conversation among us. One of the things, of course, is that there's a connection, um, an inevitable connection between our own work and our own experience and our own suffering, our own personal trauma, our own development, and that of the planet, the world, the global population. You know, it's kind of like, you know how it is when someone passes away in your life, someone you know or someone close to you, and how any unprocessed grief from previous, previous losses arises again. So this also happens to us as we are looking at what's happening to the planet, what's happening to humanity on the planet, and the species, other species on the planet. So right in the midst of this whole thing, we have our own painful feelings. And one of the things I've noticed is I kind of can divide them into two categories, kind of acute painful feelings and chronic painful feeling or um, something more like a mood. And the the acute feelings, like when fear really arises strongly or grief or anger, then we can apply the kinds of techniques that the Buddha gave us for working with that, that kind of feeling. And Liz kindly decided, or at, uh, offered to pick us up and bring us here, and we were talking about this kind of work that we can do You know, with the body, really feeling that experience, being present with that experience in the body of our own suffering and how this relates to the Four Noble Truths. And the Buddha said, what do we do when we know that there's suffering, stress, painful feeling, emotional feeling? We become present with it, really applying mindfulness, standing at, at the edge of it and observing it. So there's this uh, lovely book that Venerable Tupton Chodron wrote some years ago on anger. And in it, she talks about the same thing. How do we stay present with what we feel without repressing it, without suppressing it, without expressing it? Sometimes I think of it as like walking on this edge, this razor's edge with a drop-off on each side. And one side is repression or suppression and the other side is expressing and Kind of blasting it out on <laughs> everyone. But if we stay in that, in that center zone, then we're being present, mindful, aware, experiencing how that presents in our body, and working with it. As the Buddha said, you stay with it, stay present with it, come to know it, come to understand it. And through that processing and ability to develop the stamina to stay present without clinging to it, without um, blowing it out of proportion, without escaping from it, to be able to really observe that it arises and ceases. It has its rhythms, it has its motion, and through, if we move all the way through that process with that feeling, we see it end, and we know... We don't have to be controlled by that. So that's, you know, that's a fundamental, there's, there are a number of, uh, of techniques to support us in doing that. W- how does that relate to the second noble truth? We start to see the root, the root cause, using the other principles that the, Buddhist, the Buddha gave us, Nietzsche, suffering, non-self impermanence, suffering, non-self. So it's, it's that process that we apply to our own practice and then we expand it to include this whole context. That's for the acute. Now, What about the more chronic? What if this whole experience starts to evoke in us depression, or despair. Um, my experience of that is that when I had, you know, I wanted to be able to really be present with what's what I what's being what's happening, not turn away from it, and be informed. But when I found myself, my mood, my mind going downwards, I realized I needed to back up. So. Kind of feeling like Mark Twain when he said, "If you read, if you don't read newspapers, you're uninformed. But if you read newspapers, you're misinformed." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I thought, okay, I'm 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 digging into this too much. I'm am I'm, I'm thinking about this more than I should. So I, I started to find that then I needed to pull back and turn my attention. This is really about wise attention. If I'm I'm looking at this too much, going over in my mind, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my grandchildren? What's going to happen to those beautiful animals? What's going to happen? If I go too far down that path, it's on wise attention. And then I would turn back to the Dhamma. Read the suttas. (laughs) Um, Bring myself back to the reality of Refuge. In the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, into, back into my own practice of the precepts, and back to a focus on our own goodness, a focus on what's positive, what's even positive that comes out of every traumatic experience, what's positive that comes out of, you know, disaster, because there always is. There are always these positive results as well. There are always, there's always, you might say, that silver lining, but it's profound. When, when human beings are in situations where this, this willingness to support each other, this self-sacrifice comes forward, this um, transformation that can happen, that actually leads to good. And I can see that in my own life, in places like my father's sudden death, for example, before I had very much um, spiritual practice under my belt and wasn't prepared to really deal with that. Years later, though, he's still gone, but there's a whole different feeling and a whole different understanding and a whole different um, sort of valuing of the positive Results from his passing at that particular time for so many of the people in his life, including myself. So, wise attention, appreciating the good in ourselves and in others, appreciating that this oppor- this can be a beautiful opportunity. To make the kinds of changes that we really want to see in the world, things are changing. Things are changing quickly. But whenever there's change, even when it's um, immediately in the in the moment, seems like a devastating change. This is something else I've experienced. You know, something comes along that kind of pulls the rug out from under you. How many people have had that feeling? Um, the day my husband said he didn't want to be married anymore, boy, that came out of the blue. Um, It's like there's this crater, (laughs) right? But then if if we learn how to stay present with the acute feelings that arise, and then we recognize how to work with the chronic feeling that arises, and we realize that in whatever space... Opens up, we have this opportunity to create. And right now we stand in this moment in human history where there's this incredible opportunity to create. And the Buddha gave us the tools, he gave us the concepts. The mind is the forerunner of all things. So where is my mind around this? Can I imagine the kind of world that I want or the life, maybe a life that's more simple, that's less hectic, that's more connected? You know, clean energy for developing countries, bypassing the whole fossil fuel era entirely. (laughs) Um... Maybe the people in China will be able to breathe the better. the people in Los Angeles will be able to see the hills <laughs> and and how we can work together and actually bring more awareness to justice. These are some of our opportunities, and there are always opportunities within our own immediate Experience of connecting to each other and working together, I found it incredibly joyful to be part of both the organizing and ex- experiencing the events of oh, the March in Washington a couple of years ago on President's Weekend, um, the People's Climate March in New York, just last weekend, the March in Oakland, and each time it's joyful. And why? Part of it is the, the joy in facing what actually is. So, you know, Ajahn Chah, I didn't meet Ajahn Chah, I came to the Dharma after he passed away, but many of his students are my teachers. And they tell you over and over that the way Ajahn Chah would, would talk about this is the way it is. And living in England at Amravati with Ajahn Sumedho there, you know, this is, this is the way it is. And and be, once we are present with the way it is, there's a kind of relief. It's like, oh. And the practice brings us to this point where we recognize that the falling apart of everything is natural. And there's a relief and a a joy, because there's a glimpse there of Nibbana, of recognizing that this, this natural falling apart means that we don't have to continue to work so hard to try to hold it all together. This is just natural. Well, you could say, well, what's happening to the planet isn't natural, but it is. It's, it's through the same kind of causes and conditions that the Buddha said preconditions everything. One time Ajahn Amaro said to me, everything is preconditioned. Nothing is predetermined. That's a great kind of bumper sticker to have in the mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's it's an acceptance of, okay, we're at we're we're at the point we're at. It's okay. There's nothing wrong. Now, We have the opportunity to put in the conditions to turn this in a positive direction. How do we do that? Well, paying attention to our precepts, paying attention to every aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path, sharing that with each other, coming together. I I love that you have an earth care group here. You're also welcome to... We've got a couple of cards up here. One of them is for the Buddhist Climate Action Network. The whole idea of which is to bring Buddhists together to practice. So last week in Oakland, people got together before the march and meditated. It's, it's not because we want to show how Buddhist we are. <laughs> it's because we've got these beautiful tools and this practice in our own lives that we can then share and bring a sense of peace and and brother and sisterhood to this experience. And one of the things that's been really encouraging for me in this whole kind of period of engaging in climate issues is that People from all walks of life are involved more and more. And I hear the same themes over and over again, regardless of their their religion, regardless of their economic situation, regardless of so many diverse factors. People are concerned about the poor and the vulnerable. They're concerned about future generations. They're concerned about living... Happily and wholesomely, together and supporting each other, and there and this is a, this is a source of great joy as people come together to speak out clearly about, I'll say it, the corruption that prevents our world leadership from actually taking the right actions. Speaking out and being clear about that, but also from a place of non anger, this is a very strong theme for everyone. The knowledge that this this um, whole experience of transition is supported through love that that's what we can bring and that's this is on all sides. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to look at the encyclical that came from um, the Vatican and Pope Francis, but the same exact themes of caring for the poor, of being um, supportive of one another and bringing all the religions together. And it is incredibly beautiful that we have that, that sense every major religion is making statements of solidarity statements of you know coming together helping each other what a beautiful trajectory what a beautiful um, development What would it look like to live more simply? What would it look like to have an abundance of energy that's local, distributed, um, clean? What would it look like for governments to actually respond to the will of the people? What does it look like when we celebrate the good and encourage the good in ourselves and others? I was listening to a talk by Ajahn Brahm. How many of you listen to talks by Ajahn Brahm? Hmm, not so many. I would encourage you to, tr- to, <laughs> to do so. Um, if you need a little, you know, shot of... Uh, Uplift, that's a good place to go. And, and his reflection on the Dhamma is, is accurate. He was talking about a tribe, I don't know where from, that had a particular method of dealing with um, instances of when people would do something quite bad or wrong, like steal or hurt someone. They would take that person and they would put them in the center of a circle. And I don't know how they did this logistically, but for three days, they would do nothing but tell this person about the good qualities, their good qualities. I mean, can you imagine? After doing something outside the precepts, three days of hearing about your goodness. What a wonderful impact that would have. What a difference between that and a punitive approach. So for everyone involved, you know, in this whole experience we're having on the planet now, instead of... Moving into anger resentment blame know clearly what's happening that's part of the non-delusion but then and speak out about what's true and what's not true and what is the case and what is not the case but then really emphasize the good and really encourage the good because where we put our attention that's what grows as long as we do it with clarity Not with rose-colored, let's cover it over. Not that. So when we think about taking action, can we develop relationships with those who have power? Can we encourage them in goodness? That's what all these 2,000 actions are intended to be about around the world. And in this, as in everything that comes to us in life, we have this opportunity to develop ourselves, taking everything in as part of our practice. And there's an opportunity in this for urgency in the practice to arise in a very authentic manner. And urgency is what we need. The Buddha, the Pali word is vega, to really see that we need to practice now. One of the very great gifts I feel like I received in my time in Thailand and being with some of these amazing teachers. Jan Mahabua was you know, Ajahn Pasano called him the arahant of the age. Such a figure in Thailand of, you know, incredible development of the mind. And what I received from him was this sort of pounding encouragement that you can awaken. And that's true for all of us. This awakening, this development on the path this is available to us. And he said, you've got to practice relentlessly. <laughs> that's his character pounding. <laughs> and I'm not doing it very loud because I don't want the microphone to kind of jar-, jar you out of your seats. But <laughs> it was really intense. And that's the encouragement we all need to take, that our own awakening is part of this whole process, and that our own awakening is imminent. Don't ever think of it as far away. And don't ever think of it as other than what's happening in your life. One of the beautiful advantages of being a bhikkhuni, a Buddhist nun, is is that the practice is so deeply integrated with every aspect of life but as a lay person that is also possible. And so I want to just encourage that. This is this is a grand opportunity. This living of human life, this connection with the dharma, this access we have to the dharma, this connection with each other and this you might say I guess a bring this from the technical previous life (laughs) the forcing function of climate change so with that I want to hear from you we have time questions, comments criticisms
0: (laughs) bring it on Uh, last night, I just happened to watch the last, the day the 60s died, a documentary about Kent State and the um, demonstrations that were going on at that time, and how the uh, violence and the war that they were demonstrating against in Vietnam was then reflected back with the violence that happened um, on many campuses in the United States, and specifically Kent State. Um, And so I'm struck today by your um, very different view of uh, what a demonstration or a gathering of people could be, and that it could be joyful, um, and about creating instead of, I don't know, tearing down or or being angry, and um, I never thought about it in that way, and... um, so thank you for that different perspective on yeah. what a demonstration could be
1: about. And, and more importantly, that this is the way the demonstrations have been. Dancing. Last week, we happened to be walking in front of the marching band. I don't know how the nuns got it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not from a place of not understanding what's happening. It's from that place of understanding what's happening and bringing life to it to the solutions. Thank you.
2: Should I go for it? Does it work? Can you hear me? Uh, So you mentioned about uh, mindfulness and uh, yesterday I was reading an article um, by Steven Pinker and uh, Joshua um, Goldstein um, about climate change, and to mentioned how the solar and wind power can meet up to one to two percent of the of the energy needs of the world, and um, to 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 kind of overpass the the fossil fuse, uh, fuel, fuel era. Um, nuclear power is actually. The, the the only way and uh, how people are actually a little there's a the signs of almost like a fear and disgust about nuclear power and uh, and how it, it might be a little out of place uh, given just a fear of something new um, and uh, as I was hearing about mindfulness I thought that this is another way place where we can use mindfulness is that if we feel disgusted or if we feel like a fear of something being mindful of that and just seeing where does it come from, what did we read about it, do we know enough about it, or do we need to find more about a particular topic. So so I think that's another application. So thank you.
1: Yes, and without wanting to go too far into details on solutions, I would recommend that anyone who's thinking, well, maybe we have to go nuclear, to look at Mark Jacobson's uh, work at Stanford, where he's identifying totally clean energy solutions of wind, solar, and water power throughout the United States. They've built uh, workable plans for each state in the United States, and now they're working on all the countries. So there are mixed opinions about what the solutions are, and the conversations are very alive, and And I want to encourage that but also take use mindfulness as you say to look at these different possibilities i think the fear and disgust comes from you know authentic concerns about what happens with waste and such a you know thing and so we need to look at these various solutions and support as we see the best possible outcomes Um, I've heard again and again that we can do it with completely clean, renewable sources without needing nuclear. And part of it is, will we turn the kind of financial support that's currently going to fossil fuels towards the exploration around and innovation around these sources, new innovation coming out weekly um, from various quarters, lots of good work being done. So we just, it's true, we can apply mindfulness, we can apply our basic values of compassion and caring and um, and samadhi, too.
2: What's the name again?
1: Mark Jacobson at Stanford. Some beautiful work being done there.
0: Next. Hi. Oh, we've got one, okay. I'm just very grateful and happy to have heard you today. I think it's the first time I've heard someone speak more specifically about activism and Buddhism, like together. Mm -hmm. Gil has talked about kind of holding our concern about world events in a way that supports is supported by and supports our mindfulness, our practice. But what you've talked about is a little more specific to actual activism, and I really, it's sort of like good news for me. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. You know, it's very important in my experience that we actually take action on our values, because without taking action on it, are they really our values? And I relate it to something that um, a wonderful monk who's um, viewed as being an Arahant, and I personally have no doubts about it. His name is Ajahn He's, um, He He answered a question once. This woman was asking, she said, I live in a house with other people and I want to do chanting, but I don't want to disturb anyone. Is it okay if I just do the chanting in my head? <laughs> and he said, no, you can say it softly but say it because if you just do it in your head your head can go wherever your mind can go wherever but he said if you say it out loud then you know if you're really doing it you know that you're really doing it correctly and i feel the same way about our values if it's if it's just internal or just you know on the cushion is it really our value express it and that's where we know we're really following our values. And the way in which we express it can be every bit as beautiful, every bit as sustaining, every bit as kind, compassionate, loving, as, as whatever we can imagine internally. And so actualizing our values through our voice and through our actions, I think is really essential.
3: Hi, my name is Diana. I just returned last night, as a matter of fact, to Redwood, and this is the first place that I came. I, I was here the last time I was here. I'll be here for about a year. I have... Uh, I don't know, this isn't related. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be the global warming or uh, the killing of each other that's going to um, end um, humanity. My, my uh, question to you is... Um, how are you uh, how do you use mindfulness around all the violence, mm. the terrorists, the killing that's on a daily basis in this country and all over it just seems to be endless so how do you come to some kind of peace, some kind of mindful wisdom mm. over this senseless violence? I know that that's not the topic, but even just a one sentence um, reply. i
1: think it's I think it's very pertinent to the topic and I would say that the way to come to peace with violence, with any any gross infraction of the precepts like that is the same way we come to terms with destruction in our personal lives and experience. It's stepping back and taking in the bigger picture. And this is what the Buddha did over and over again. When Patachara came to him out of her mind with grief because she had lost her husband, her two children, and her parents and brother all in the same day, he said, Sister, regain your mindfulness. And she did. And it was out of that experience that she decided to become a bhikkhuni and she became the foremost teacher. And her heart was freed and and with uh, Kisa Gotami when she came with her dead son in her arms the buddha's advice was a way of bringing her into the larger context there is a larger context of life and death of development of the heart of many lifetimes of nibbana you can kind of you know it's it's tempting to say this thing with climate change is so big or the violence we're experiencing now is so vast, so devastating, that we can't see beyond and around it, but we always can. You step back. You look at the bigger picture. Violence has been going on from the beginning. Destruction has always been there. The Buddha said, the Brahmaviharas viharas are there for every situation, but you have to apply the right one. In the case of, of people doing things that are destructive, unwholesome, even our own unwholesome actions, the Brahmavihara to apply is equanimity. You know what's happening. You know it's not wholesome. You're not adding your energy to it. You're not going to participate in it. We'll pull away from it in every opportunity and and encourage others to be wholesome and to move away from that destruction. But we also view it with equanimity, with a peaceful heart, with a deep understanding that we're all going to die. I would ask myself sometimes, what is the difference between my own sort of Tragedy in my own life, my own impermanence, my own, you know, ultimate death, aging sickness, and death. And what is that? What's the difference between dealing with that and dealing with this kind of global devastation? There's a matter of scale, and there's a matter of experiencing it together. But the work is the same. So it's like recognizing that there's a platform of refuge that's unshakable. The Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and the definitions of what that means, the enlightened Sangha. right? What What that actually means and how we take refuge in that and how we develop the heart to have boundless love to not not have it but access it that that is what can come through us and even in we can look at historically at other examples of i know we're out of time but just to finish historically we can look at other examples of times of great devastation and how there are those people who rise up to that in a, in, a, in a state of, of self-sacrifice that doesn't diminish them, but illumines them. And that in cultivating the equanimity around these experiences and standing for what's wholesome and just and kind and loving and holding to that, and grounding ourselves in the Dhamma, in the practice, and in our spiritual friendships, and taking action that's good and reminding ourselves of the good is what we bring to the world as a beacon. And it's not just us, but the 1.5 billion Catholics are doing it. <laughs> and, you know, we come together together across faiths to stand against the violence and the corruption behind the violence and to help each other. And that's how we come to terms with it. I hope that's useful. And I want to just send you with every blessing May you have every good blessing. May all the Devas protect you. By the power of all the Buddhas, may you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the Devas protect you. By the power of all the Dhamma, may you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the sangha. May you ever be well.
3: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.